morning again, everybody. It's uh, a lot warmer this week than last week, from what I understand. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's New England for you, right? Huh? I guess I did pick a good week to be away, yeah. Um, speaking of that, it's good to be back after two weeks off, and... Uh, I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Scott Thompson and John Van Patella. I was able to listen to their messages earlier this week, and I really appreciated them. Uh, so, Scott and John, if you hear this, thank you again for filling in. It was really a blessing to have some time to recharge my batteries, so I really appreciate uh, that they were able to do that. So it's been quite a while now since we've been in a real sermon series. Uh, this whole summer, we kind of just did a week-by-week week whatever I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart. And I just wanted to announce that that time of uh, a grab bag of messages is ending. We're going to uh, be starting a series soon. And what we're actually going to be doing is returning to the book of Revelation. Uh, some of you hopefully remember that around this time, uh, last fall, we started a series in the book of Revelation. And uh, we took a break around Christmas time, and then we came back early in 2020 and uh, we made it all the way up through 11 chapters of the book. And I was really excited about going the whole way through. Uh, major, I would consider that a major accomplishment to make it all the way through Revelation. And, uh, but when COVID hit, it just felt like, I don't know if this is the right time to really be waiting su through such a complex book, you know, when we're meeting on live stream and that sort of thing. But recently I started to feel a tug back towards Revelation, and I really would like us as a church to finish what we started, and so we are going to return to Revelation. We're not returning next week, it'll be the week after that, uh, but I wanted to let you all know, because I want to encourage you uh, to go back and read those first 11 chapters, because a lot of it has probably fallen out of your memory, and if you're really ambitious, of course, you can go back and listen to those prior messages uh, on our podcast, uh, but I just want to encourage you to take some time to review because I don't want to uh, spend the first couple weeks just rehashing what we already did. So that's what's coming. Uh, but today we're going to look at what I think is one of Jesus's most fascinating parables. Uh, it's called the parable of the weeds. And I think that this is a parable that's very relevant for any of us who want to see the world become a better place. Do we want to see the world become a better place? I hope so. <laughs> uh, Jesus said to us that when we pray, we should pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are supposed to long for God's kingdom to come on earth. Now that prayer assumes that right now there is a distinction between how things ought to be and how things actually are, right? Hopefully we can all agree on that. Not everything that happens in the world is exactly as God would like. It doesn't always align uh, with his will. Um, now, if we think about that fact long enough, that there is this distinction between how things actually are and the will of God, it should lead us to two questions. One, why is the world so messed up? And two, what are we supposed to do about it? And what I love about this parable is I think it gives us insight into both of those questions. 
Uh, so if you have a, a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me, with me right now to Matthew 13, uh, starting in verse 24. Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So, so something that's really neat about this parable is that unlike most of the parables that Jesus gave us, he actually provides some interpretation for us. So if you skip ahead a little bit in the chapter to verse 36, listen to what it says. Uh, then Jesus left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. In other words, myself. Uh, the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. All right, so let's go back to the beginning of the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And Jesus clarifies later that the field is what? The field is the world. And that's significant, okay? This parable isn't just about Israel. Uh, it's not just about the church. Jesus is saying something that is universal in scope, something about the way the world works and the way that God operates in the world and the way that the kingdom of heaven is coming. Now remember, I said this parable gives us insight into two questions that we should all be asking. One, why is the world so messed up? And two, what are we supposed to do about it? So let's think about that first one. Why is the world so messed up? So the servants realize that there are weeds growing in the master's field. And notice, they're surprised about that. And I think that what we see in the servants is an analogy for what happens to us sometimes when our naive assumptions about the world are shattered. You know, maybe we naively assume that uh, good people are consistently rewarded in this life. And uh, unrighteous people are consistently punished. Uh, or maybe we assume that, you know, if you just work hard enough, then you'll definitely be able to succeed and be healthy and wealthy. 
uh, in this life. So we have these kinds of assumptions, but then we start to observe the world, and over time we start to notice the weeds. Life is not always fair, right? Uh, we study history and we find out that there are entire groups of people that have suffered the effects of discrimination. And those, that discrimination has generational consequences. Uh, we, we study the world and we see that some people go to jail for crimes that they never committed. And other people sometimes get away with murder. Some people live their lives greedy and self-centered and they end up living way past life expectancy. And then other people live lives of love and compassion and kindness and then they find themselves passing away of an illness at in their 50s or in their 60s or even earlier. This sort of stuff happens, right? The world is full of weeds. There's this distinction between how things ought to be and how they actually are. And when we notice this, when our eyes are opened to the injustice, the suffering, the evil in the world, we can react similarly to the way that these servants reacted. They say, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? You know, it's kind of like us saying, God, aren't you good? What's the problem here? Why are things a mess? You know, did, did you mess up when you were baking this creation cake? Did you mess up the recipe? What, what's, what's the deal here? Now, in philosophy and theology, this problem is called the problem of evil. And I want to be honest that this parable does not perfectly answer the problem of evil, at least not to the satisfaction of any philosopher type. Okay? But it does give us insight into how we should be answering that question of the problem of evil. Notice how the master answers the servant. He doesn't say, well, those weeds are there because I actually planted them there. Part, part of me wants them to be there. The master doesn't say that, right? The, the, the master doesn't say, well, I put those weeds there to teach you a lesson. No, he says very simply, an enemy did this. An enemy did this. And then Jesus clarifies later who that enemy is. He's the devil. Now, I recognize that in the culture that we're living in right now, a pretty skeptical culture, uh, people often have a hard time believing in the existence of an actual devil. And people have a hard time believing in any kind of unseen spiritual beings that somehow affect the world that we're in. But the Bible, and especially the New Testament, assumes the existence of these kinds of beings, both, both good and evil. And Jesus assumes the existence of these kinds of beings. And not only does he assume their existence, but in this parable he indicates that he wants us to recognize one of these beings in particular as the ultimate source of the brokenness of the world. Okay. Now, I want to be careful here, uh, because I'm not saying that we all bear no responsibility when it comes to the brokenness of creation, the weeds that are in creation. I'm not saying we bear no responsibility. I'm also not saying that the devil made me do it is a legitimate excuse 
for whenever we do something wrong. Not saying that. Um, but what I am saying is that we should not be blaming God for the evil and brokenness of the world. If there's one thing that this parable is clearly teaching us, it's that. Ultimately, we should be blaming the devil. Now, I'm not naive, okay? I recognize that we have some unresolved questions here, like, if God is the creator of everything, then he also created the devil, so isn't God, in some sense, ultimately responsible for the weeds that are in the field? And that is a very difficult question to answer. Um, my answer to that would simply be that when God created the angels, they had legitimate power of choice, and the devil chose to use his power to rebel against God uh, rather than serve him, and the devil bears that responsibility for that decision, not God. But however we answer that question, Jesus' parable is saying we are not supposed to see God as the author of the weeds. We're not supposed to blame him for the brokenness of the world. You know, God doesn't have this shadow side that secretly wills evil. John 1.5 says God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. God is good, truly good. There's no fine print at the bottom. He's good. He is responsible for the wheat in the field, not the weeds. He is responsible for the beauty and goodness of creation, not for the injustice and the evil. And what Jesus wants us to realize is that there are more agents influencing reality around us than simply God and human beings and matter and energy. There are spiritual forces at work that will destruction and disorder and death in God's creation, and they sow chaos in the world. And we need to recognize that. But ultimately, the good news is they have already lost and they will experience their full defeat in the future. So, that's the insight this parable gives us into that first question. Why is the world so messed up? But what about that second question? What are we supposed to do about the evil in the world? What does this parable have to say about this? All right, well, listen again, starting in verse 28. The servants asked, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Now, this is the part of the parable that I find the most fascinating and the most difficult to interpret, and I've turned it over in my brain a lot. It's tough. What is Jesus actually saying here? I, I'm a little frustrated that when Jesus explains the parable, this is the one part that he doesn't really go into detail about. And it, it seems like the part of the parable that calls us to some sort of action. It says something about how we're supposed to live. I don't know why Jesus didn't uh, address that specifically. Maybe he just wants us to meditate on it and, and figure it out. Uh, but anyway, what, what does Jesus mean? What does Jesus mean when he tells us that we should let the weeds grow? What does that look like? Practically speaking. Well, I realize that it might sound like Jesus is saying that we're just supposed to be passive about evil. But that can't be right. right? That doesn't make any sense. In this same book, Jesus tells his disciples that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Right? 
that we're supposed to be lighting up the darkness, that we're supposed to be making creation more flavorful and preserving the good, right? So we, it doesn't make sense to, that Jesus would be saying, just be passive about evil, don't worry about it. Uh, Jesus is also very clear in this same book that we're not supposed to be passive about evil in our own lives, in our own hearts. In fact, there's this one point in this same book where Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Which is a, a, a very dramatic way of saying you should not get complacent about sin in your life. You should do what you need to do in order to root it out. Okay? Even if it hurts, root it out. So, letting the weeds grow cannot possibly mean just be passive about evil, don't do anything about evil. But then what does it mean? What does it mean? Here's what I think Jesus is telling us. We look at the world out there and we see evil, right? We see people believing the wrong things, doing evil things, committing injustice, worshiping false gods, etc., etc. And we want to do something about it. And it's good that we want to do something about it. But there is a certain approach to dealing with people who do evil that is not wise. And it's what I would call the pulling weeds approach. So think about pulling weeds. You grab it, you throw it away, right? The pulling a weeds approach thinks that we can forcefully remove or silence people who do evil. And if we can just forcefully remove them and silence them, then we can create a utopia here on earth. So what does it look like to have this, this mindset uh, as we live our lives? Well. In the most extreme case, it could look like literally trying to kill people who do bad things or believe bad things. Uh, this is the approach that we might associate with events in history like the Crusades or the Inquisition. But I think we should think of the pulling weeds approach more broadly uh, than just that. The pulling weeds approach to dealing with evil is a posture that says, let's get those people. Let's silence those people. Let's shame those people. Let's, let's judge those people, condemn those people. Let's stamp them out. Let's root them out and burn them up, throw them away. I think that we see a lot of this pulling weeds posture these days in uh, political discourse, in conversations about politics, especially the kinds, the kinds of conversations that happen on social media. There's not a lot of people saying, well, let's listen to one another and uh, try to understand where we're coming from. And if we disagree, you know, calmly offer correction to the other person. There's not a lot of that, right? The pulling weeds attitude dominates right now. And it's the attitude that treats those we disagree with like just weeds that need to be up uprooted and burned and thrown away. You don't have a conversation with a weed. You just attack it. And that attitude doesn't lead to helpful conversation, right? It just leads to attacks, anger. I think one of the problems with the pulling weeds approach is that it tends to backfire. You know, in Greek mythology, there's this creature called the Hydra. And 
if you try to cut off a hydra's head, then two more grow back. And a lot of the time, when we forcefully try to attack evil people, the bad people, it has a similar effect. It's like cutting off the head of the hydra. It, it grows two heads uh, in its place. You know, people don't change their minds because they feel like, oh, that was humiliating. That made me angry. I felt really attacked when that person who disagreed with me interacted with me. They don't change their minds. They become more entrenched in their perspective, right? The hydra doesn't die. He grows two heads. Now, the, par the parable gives us some more insight into why the pulling weeds approach is not wise. Jesus says, don't pull the weeds up because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. In other words, if you have this posture of forcefully attacking the bad people, the people that you're trying to uh, root out, you might damage the harvest. You might keep people from the kingdom of God. And the parable gives us two reasons for why that's the case. One, because we can't always tell who is a wheat and who is a weed. That's for God to judge, not us. The weeds in this parable are something that's called darnel. And darnel was something that when it was growing, at least in the early stage, it was very hard to discern whether it was wheat or not. It's hard to tell the difference. And so what Jesus is saying through this parable is that we can't always tell who the good people are and who the bad people are. We're just not really good at making that assessment. And that means that if we start trying to forcefully attack the wicked, we may actually end up attacking people who are meant for God's kingdom. You know, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul story. I think this is a great example of this. Uh, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, uh, he was somebody who persecuted Christians. He was someone who was breathing out murderous threats against them. Uh, there's this one scene in the book of Acts where a, a disciple of Jesus is sharing about the gospel. And then he's stoned to death. And it says that Paul is there giving approval to his death. You know, people brutally kill this man. And Paul is there nodding his head like, oh yeah, good job, good job. I'm on board. Now, if you asked Christians at the time, knowing only that about Paul, and you said, do you think that man is a wheat or a weed, what would the obvious answer be? That guy's a weed, right? That guy needs to be uprooted and burned. He's bad news. But of course, Paul eventually converted, and he went on to become probably the greatest evangelist in history. And a huge part of the Bible that we hold now was written by Paul. Now, what if the Christians in the first century had a pulling weeds approach to, to dealing with evil? What if they had that? And what if they had forcefully attacked Paul, tried to uproot him, tried to get rid of him? Think of what effect that could have had on the harvest, right? Because how many people have come to know Christ through Paul? through the work of Paul. 
I mean, you could argue maybe all of us here to some extent have come to Christ through the work of Paul. We don't have the ability to judge whether someone is a wheat or a weed. We can judge whether an action is evil or not, and we should. But whether a person will be in the kingdom of God or not, that is just not for us to decide. And when we step into that position of judgment, we can damage the harvest. So the second reason this parable suggests for why we should not be trying to pull the weeds is because right now we're all connected, the wheat and the weeds. We're all connected. When wheat and darnel grow close together, what happens is their root systems literally become tied up together. So if you think, oh, I'm just going to go and pull up all these weeds, as you pull them up, you're also damaging the root system of the wheat, and you're killing the wheat along with it. And that is such a good analogy for the way that the world is right now, because right now, we all, as human beings, our lives are all entwined with one another. The righteous and the wicked, the repentant and the obstinate, it's all one big ball. Um, and so, any attempts to forcefully attack evil usually have collateral damage as well. You know, for example, imagine that there's a CEO of a company and we know this CEO to be an immoral man, um, a man who does not honor God or principles of justice. And, uh, and so we organize a boycott against this man's company. Well, obviously, we're not just going to affect that man. We're, we're going to affect every person that that man employs, right? And so addressing evil, forcefully addressing it, is complicated. There is usually collateral damage. Our, our, our root systems are intertwined. We are connected. Now, I want to reiterate, okay, Jesus is not telling us just to be passive about evil. If this was the only thing that Jesus ever said, maybe we could try to make some case for that. Uh, but we have a lot more of Jesus' teaching than just this, and so we know that Jesus does not just want us to ignore and accept evil and injustice. But what he is telling us is that we've got to learn to fight evil in a non-intuitive way. We've got to learn to fight evil in a non-intuitive way. Our intuition is the weed-pulling strategy. Pull them up. Cut off the head of the hydra. Attack, uproot, judge, condemn. But the kingdom of God grows through a different strategy. Patience. Grace. Generosity. The sacrificial love demonstrated on the cross by Jesus. This is how the kingdom grows. And as John Vampatella talked about last week, it grows through loving our enemies rather than trying to destroy them. A few years ago, uh, I watched a really incredible documentary that I think is a great illustration of what it looks like when we forego the weed-pulling approach and build the kingdom of God in his way. There's a documentary called Accidental Courtesy. Uh, if you haven't watched it, I encourage you to 
find a way to stream it online. I'm sure you can find it if you, if you look for it. And uh, it's a documentary about a man named Daryl Davis, uh, a black man, a musician. And over the last few decades, he has managed to persuade dozens of KKK members to renounce the Klan and to give him their hoods. And the way that he's done it is really through friendship. It's incredible. He definitely has some kind of spiritual gift here. He is a believer. He's a Christian. Um, but he manages to develop relationships with these KKK members. And through those relationships, he dismantles their ignorance and their hatred. And he sees their perspective transform. And I'm just blown away by his approach. I, I'm in awe of it. Uh, he pursues relationship with these people, and he, he speaks calmly and respectfully, but he's not a pushover either. I mean, when the time comes to correct and to offer truth, he does it, and he can do it very strongly. I think that his approach is very Christ-like. You know, it says that Christ came with truth and grace, and Daryl Davis embodies that truth and grace approach. He leads with grace, and he, he gives truth as well, and, and it works. You can't argue with the, the results. He has uh, seen over 25 former Klansmen give him their hoods and renounce the Klan. Now, imagine if Daryl Davis had a different approach. What if he had the weed-pulling approach? What would he do? Well, he might try to terrorize KKK members. He might blow up their mailboxes or leave uh, bomb threats on their, their voicemails. Uh, he might hack into their emails. He might do everything in his power to publicly humiliate them and, and ruin their lives through, through shame. And there might be some satisfaction in that. But you can bet that none of those actions would actually lead them to hand their hoods to him and to call him their friend. You can bet that none of those actions would actually lead them to change. And a lot of those actions might backfire, might go, grow two hydra heads in their place, right? And just result in more angry people adopting racist attitudes. But instead of treating these people like weeds, even though they really look like weeds, right? Davis treats them as potential wheat. And the results are incredible. If we want the harvest to be as big and as beautiful as possible, we have to turn from the weed-pulling approach and adopt the Christ-like approach. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this mysterious, uh, challenging parable. And I pray that this week you would help us all to, to reflect on it and to ask ourselves, uh, do I have a, a weed-pulling approach to dealing with evil or do I have your approach to dealing with it? And Lord, we do want to see the world become a better place. We want to be salt and light as you call us to be. And Lord, we pray that you would empower us to live in a way uh, that helps to bring transformation in our world, Lord. And God, we look forward 
to the day of the harvest, Lord. We pray that it would be a, a big and beautiful harvest. Um, and we look forward also, Lord, uh, to you putting an end to evil. God, we thank you that through, through you, through Christ, we have the victory. In Jesus' name, amen.